want to draw your attention tonight to some verses found in Lamentations 3, verse number 21. Lamentations 3, breaking into the chapter at verse 21. Let's hear the word of God. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. And we will end our reading there. And we know that God himself will bless the reading of his word to every heart and every soul. Let us just unite our hearts in prayer, fully aware in our own souls of our need of God. We always need him. But let us pray that we'll be more and more aware of it. Jeremiah, in these words that we have read, he's fully aware he needs God. And we need him also. And therefore, let us pray. Let us seek the face of the Lord. Almighty God and Father in heaven, in the holy name of Jesus Christ our Lord and by the merits of his blood, we approach again the throne of grace and of mercy. And we thank thee for the Son of God that loved the church and gave himself for it. We thank thee for the one that came in the fullness of time, made of a woman made under the law, to redeem those that are under the law. And, O God, we bow down today the living to praise thee and the saved to worship. And, O God, we worship thee in the Holy Trinity of thy sacred persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We're fully aware that before the hills an order stood, our earth received its frame from everlasting thou art God to endless years the same. And we're fully aware, O God, that as we come before thee in prayer, that we come as the mortal before the immortal. We come as the foolish before the infinitely wise. We come as creatures of time before the God of eternity. We come as those that are oft times perplexed about what to do next before one that knows the end from the beginning. We come as the weak before the mighty. And we come as the sinful before one that is immaculate in holiness. And yet we come rejoicing in the blood of Christ and rejoicing in the value of the atonement and rejoicing in the merits of the Lamb that was for sinners slain. And, O God, we come in his name, clothed in his righteousness, washed in his blood. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the merits of the crosswork of Christ we cling. And we give ourselves to thee today, and we pray for our country, and we pray, O God, for our government. In these days in which we're passing through, that thou would lead us, out of this situation and into better days in our land. But, O God, we realize that this has come. And, O God, we pray that thou would forgive the sins of our nation, forgive the sins of our government, forgive our own sins, forgive the sins of us, your people, sins of omission, when we omitted to do what we ought to have done, sins of commission, when we did that which we most certainly shouldn't have done. O God, cleanse us, your people, afresh in the blood of Christ. Forgive our unrighteousness, love us freely. Lord, we know we have grieved thee, we know we have failed thee. But come, Lord, and remember us in mercy, and see us in your beloved Son, 
And O God, we cry that for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of him alone, that you'll come and bless us as a church even in these days in which we are passing through. Lord, do remember the country. Remember our health service, our nurses, our doctors, who are standing so bravely and strongly, seeking to treat the dying, seeking to minister to those that are in great need. And Lord, we pray for every one of them and their families, that thou would draw near to them and comfort all their hearts. Remember, Lord, other services that in our communities that need to go on in these days, and we thank thee for every one of them, but we pray that your hand will be upon them. And Lord, yet, Lord, we pray that the voice of God will be heard, and that, Lord, we will as a people uh, see that we are being reminded of our own mortality, that this is a fallen world, and time still like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. Remember the House of Windsor this morning. Remember our Queen. We pray, O God, that you'll remember her and the royal household and save every one of them by the grace of God. So, Lord, abide with us now as we turn to the sacred scriptures, not forgetting our sister denomination in North America, not forgetting our missionaries of the cross as they stand seeking to say a word for Jesus Christ. Lord, abide with your church today. And bless us now. I confess before heaven, before your eternal throne, my complete inadequacy to deal with what is before me now in this meeting. Empty me now of self and sin. Wash me completely in the blood of Christ and fill me now with the Holy Ghost and power. Give that anointing, that holy baptism. Lord, make me a vessel unto honour. Forgive my sins for their many. Bind the devil in every power of darkness. Purge the atmosphere in the blood of Christ. And take this word and wherever it goes. O Lord, go forth in the chariot of thy truth. And do a great work for the glory of thy great name, Lord. Lord, there's none of us worthy that you answer our prayers. But O God, look at the man at thy right hand. Remember Gethsemane's bloody sweat. Remember the agonies of Golgotha, and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord, and for his sake alone, Lord, hear our prayers, and answer them. In all your tender mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The penman of the book of Lamentations, of which we have read this morning, is of course Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote this book of Lamentations, plus of course the previous one, which bears his own name. Now in the book of Jeremiah itself, we have the prophecy of the desolations of Jerusalem and Judah. And in the book of Lamentations, we have a mourning uh, in the heart of the prophet when the desolations which he had prophesied happened. When he had seen the desolations at a distance in the prophecy of Jeremiah, he had said in his own words in Jeremiah 9, he wished that his head were waters and his eyes fountains of tears. As he thought of the awful desolations that were going to come upon the Lord's ancient people, Jeremiah was a faithful prophet. Jeremiah was a man of God. In fact, when we read the Gospels, we see that Jeremiah was a man of great Christ-likeness. 
because there was that day in Matthew 16 when the Lord said to his disciples, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And only for the disciples to say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah. And that was the greatest tribute that could ever have been paid to Elijah or Jeremiah, that people would actually have thought they were Jesus Christ. That was a tremendous tribute to these men. And it shows the caliber of Jeremiah. He was a faithful, true man of God. Now, Jeremiah began his ministry in the 13th year of Josiah, when things went well under that good king. But he then continued his ministry under the wicked kings which were to follow Josiah. Jeremiah spoke plainly about sin. He was a straight-talking prophet. And as one old writer said, plain dealing is best when we are dealing with sinners to seek to bring them to repentance. Jeremiah was a straight-talking prophet. He was also a suffering prophet. He was persecuted by his own people. He was imprisoned. Things were done against him. And yet in, in his prophecy, there though there are those difficult times that he went through and great warnings about what was to come upon the land, in his prophecy there are also many gracious promises of mercy to anyone that would turn from sin and leave it behind. But as I have said, Jeremiah wrote both these books, his own book named after him, Jeremiah, and of course this book of Lamentations. As I've said, it is the book of Lamentations that we want to turn to right now, and to the third chapter, and especially to that section from verse 21 down to really verse 26 or 27. Words of comfort, words of hope, words of instruction, it's all there. But given in a day of distress, given to a people who were in distress. And you and I as believers all know that there are times in the world in which we live that there are times of distress. There's times of trouble. And the church needs consolation and the church needs comfort. But in these verses that we have read in Lamentations, there is a great encouragement, a great call, a great exhortation to prayer, to seek the Lord. And that is what I want to speak on today, a message that I have entitled, Prayer, Our Greatest Asset in Times of Distress. The first thing I want to show you about prayer is, from this section, the encouragement that there is to pray. Prayer, as you know, is communion with God Almighty. And this narrative gives great encouragement to pray. Verse 25 says, in one of the thoughts of encouragement to those that pray, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, or the Lord is good unto those that pray. Now that statement alone ought to have us all changing our schedules to spend as much time in prayer as we can, the very fact that the Lord is going to be good to those that wait for him. Now underline that promise in your Bible, God is good. To those that pray. And dear believer, I want you to think about that, whether it's collective prayer in the church prayer meetings or personal prayer. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. And there we have a glorious promise to all who pray. The Lord is good to those that pray. He's good to us in that prayer lifts the burden off ourselves as we cast it upon the Lord. 
We've all experienced that. He carries our burden. He's good to us that way. He's also good to us in the place of prayer in that prayer brings Christ-likeness to the believer. As you commune with someone, you, you, you begin to be more and more like them. And as we commune with Christ and pour out our hearts to Christ and take the word back to him and pray over it, we become to have the mind of Christ and, the, and to be like Christ. It's good to us in that way. God is also good to us in prayer in that as we pray, he strengthens us. Isaiah, that one described as the evangelical prophet, said they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God is good to us in that he strengthens us. He conforms us to his image as we pray. He blesses us. He He guides us. He pardons us. He strengthens us. And the list could go on of how God is good to those that wait for him. He gives direction to those that seek him. Oh, people, think about it today. The Lord is good to those that seek him. It's just a fact. We can't even begin to exhaust this. This beginning of this encouragement to pray and that the Lord is good to those that seek him. Verse 25, it's as clear as crystal. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. There's also another encouragement why we should pray. And it's who the Lord is. Right throughout the portion, verse 22, Jeremiah said, it's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion. Verse 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. Verse 26, it's good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah is showing us the one that we're to wait before. The one that's good to us. But as we think of who this glorious person is, our Lord, there's great encouragement to pray. Let me think of some of them with you. The Lord that we pray to is immutable. He's immutable. The one that Jeremiah refers to when he speaks about our Lord's compassions, his portion, who's good to those that wait for him, he's immutable. He can't change. The one who saved you and me is immutable. Malachi chapter 3 verse 16, I am the Lord, I change not. You can't say that, I can't say that. The greatest preachers in the world can't say, I don't change, we all do. In Lamentations 3.22 where we've read here, it's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions fail not. Why do they fail not? Because he can't change, he's immutable. James, that New Testament apostle, puts it like this, with him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning or no change. He's immutable. Let us be clear. The one we pray to, the one that's good to us, the one that we pour our hearts out to in times of national distress, ecclesiastical distress, personal distress, the one that we come to, he's immutable. He's immutable in his purpose, he's immutable in his purpose towards his church, he's immutably holy, he's immutably faithful, he's immutably compassionate. You see, there's the great difference between who God is and who we all are. People on earth could draw you in with kindness on a Tuesday and drive you off with anger on a Wednesday because we're mutable. We change. It's not so with the Lord. Our encouragement is seeing him he's immutable. We're also encouraged to pray 
because the Lord is eternal. Death takes our loved ones away. Death takes those people that support us and are good to us in life, takes them away. But nothing can take Christ away from us. He ever liveth. He ever abides. He's ever present to hear us. And in these days when we sit in our homes and maybe people feel the loneliness of it, and this virus has taken away your comforts and has taken away your visitors and has taken away so much from you, dear believer, this virus will never take away your Christ. It'll never take away your Christ. The Lord is immutable. The Lord is eternal. The Lord is steadfast also. First, Isaiah 46 says, My counsel shall stand. Dear believer, what a thought today. The pillars of the covenant of grace stand firm. God's purposes in redemption stands firm. God's elect people will be gathered in. Christ's church will be built. The futile attempts of the devil to thwart it will fail miserably. It's all in these encouragements that we have to pray and to get to our blessed Lord in these days. There's another encouragement. The Lord we seek is secure. Psalm 46 and those words that the Lord's people love. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The word trouble, it means distress. The word present, it means secure. And dear believer, when all around you and you feel it gives way, there's an anchor in Christ which holds you securely and holds you within the veil, both sure and steadfast. Oh, the old hymn writer, how well he penned it and I could not make it better. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Dear believer, the one that we come to, the one we pray to, the one that this great encouragement comes as Jeremiah speaks about his Lord. Think about him. He's immutable. He's eternal. He's secure. He's steadfast. He never changes in his purposes to you. He doesn't love you on a Tuesday and hate you on a Wednesday. Nothing can take you from him. An encouragement to pray to him. There's not only encouragement to pray here. There's an exhortation about prayer. Verse 26 of Lamentations 3 says, "It It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. The word good in verse 26 is a different word than we looked at when it says in verse 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. The word here, good, literally means better. So let's read verse 26 like that. It is better that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is better that a man should just wait before God. Now taking it here in the setting, the people have been taken captive. The enemy has come in like a flood. 
The people are in mourning. There's a national mourning. That's how it is in the setting. A land in captivity. A land in mourning. But in the setting, Jeremiah brings a word from God to the people. And in verse 26, he said, it's good and it's properly read. It's better that a man or woman or the church, whatever way you want to put it, should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. But we must pause and ask a question. Why would it be better? Why is God Almighty telling the people through Jeremiah in verse 26, it is better that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord? Well, certainly one reason we have already seen God is good or blesses those that seek him, and certainly we need God's blessing upon us. But why is it better? What about your life, dear believer, my life? When would those times be when it would be better just to wait quietly before the Lord? Could I suggest when the devil is near, it's best we pray. When assaulted by temptation, it's best we pray we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. Christ said to the disciples in Gethsemane, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Or maybe somebody listening here, family member far from God, it's best you pray. It's better that a man should both hope and quietly wait. What about our nation today? It's better that the church should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Oh, Jeremiah, this man so in touch with God, such a Christ-like character. He says to us all, it's better. It's just the best thing you could be doing is hoping and quietly waiting for the salvation of the Lord. Uh, let's think of a couple of people in the Bible who did it. What about Joseph? That dear man of God in the book of Genesis. His captivity. His imprisonment. Stolen away out of his own land. He could have said with Jeremiah, This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope it's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. For because their compassions they feel not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And he could have said this. It's best I go to my Lord. It's best I pray. Samson in the dungeon. Maybe I speak to a backslider. Samson in the dungeon. Sight gone, defeated. And yet we hear those great words arising to heaven in Judges 16. O Lord, my God, remember me this once. What's, what's Samson doing? This realization in his soul, it's best, I pray. If I'm ever to be in victory again, it's best, I pray. And dear believer, it's best we go to our immutable Lord, to our immutable Christ in these days. It's best we go to our Father. There's this encouragement to pray. Then there's this exhortation. It's best that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Verse 26. 
Verse 26 gives us something else. It also gives us specifics about prayer. Verse 26 says, It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. The word hope here is different than the word in verse 21 and verse 24. The, the word hope in verse 26 it literally means stay. Let's read it like that. It is better, verse 26, that a man should both stay and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Stay and quietly wait. What's the thought? It's the thought of silence. Oh, obviously not silence in prayer towards God, but silently waiting, staying in the place of prayer. Like Jacob, I cannot let you go until you bless me. Like old Knox in Scotland, give me Scotland or I die. It's the thought of staying before God in this continuation, this silent place, this quiet place. It is better that a man should both stay and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Quietly, as in towards others, not toward God. Turn with me in your Bible to Mark 1. Mark 1 verse 35. Mark 1 35. And there we read, And in the morning rising up a great while before day, he, that's our Lord, went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Mark 1 35. Christ went out to quietly wait before his Father. It was a silent place. Dear believer, did you ever ask yourself where the term quiet time came from? Obviously not quiet toward God, but quiet toward everything else. Quiet towards our families, quiet towards distractions. Going to somewhere where we can be alone with God. Christ, raising up a great while before day, went out, departed into a solitary place, and there waited before his Father. Or Mark 6, verse 46. And there we read, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray again, a silent place. Not silent, and may I say it again, not silent between the first two persons of the Godhead, but silent toward men, silent towards others, away from everything. Our Lord leaves us this great example, going out to a solitary place, going on to the mountain. Remember, come with me to Gethsemane. And he takes Peter, James and John a little further. And Satan, having entered Judas and the mob are on their way. But we see our Lord kneel before heaven and before his father, and in this silent place, he's he's praying, he's alone before God, and it could be said, and, and as our Lord has shown us this great example, it is better that a man should both stay and quietly wait. Waiting. Waiting before God. Staying there. We're all very good. And I say we. We're all very good at quoting Jacob. I will not let you go until you bless me. But really what we do mean is. It really needs to happen within the next 30 minutes. Or I'm going to let you go. 
dear believer, we'd be better not praying it in the first place. If we say we will not let you go until you bless us, then we can't let go until he blesses us. And I say that in these days in which we're passing, verse 26 is a word, it's better. That a man should both hope and quietly wait, both stay and wait for the salvation of the Lord. Our churches are closed. We miss the communion of the saints. But the Lord's telling us what's the best thing they can do. It's better. That's what the word means. Verse 26 of Lamentations 3. It's better that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It's best, dear believer, we remember what we have in Christ. We remember the great privilege, boldness to draw near by the blood of Jesus, by that new and living way, remembering we have a Father in heaven, remembering that the world isn't spiralling out of control, remembering that as saints of God and believers were meant to in these days be salt upon the earth and that we get before God on behalf of our people. It's better that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. As I've already told you, the setting was they were in captivity. And they could no more change their captivity than we can change ours. But God can. Jeremiah said the best thing we can do is both hope and quietly wait. For the salvation of the Lord. Which brings me finally to this. The great result of prayer. The end of verse 26. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait. For the salvation of the Lord. What does Jeremiah mean by the salvation of the Lord? Jeremiah is waiting. And exhorting the people to wait. For the reversal of what has taken place. That they could come again to their own land. That the temple doors could open again. That they could climb those steps again. Jeremiah's praying for a reversal. Do our hearts not need it? Does our nation not need it? Does our church need it? Ah, my friend, think of how it all began here. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. It's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions fail not. Jeremiah knew God's purpose and redemption hadn't been set aside. Jeremiah knows the covenant promises are sure. And therefore he exhorts this waiting upon God. Calling upon the Lord. It was that old Baptist preacher Spurgeon. He said this. The tide goes out in the ocean and the tide always comes in again. And he says in the spiritual realm the tide goes out. And I'm telling you it's out. But the tide always comes in again. You know, what really should we be watching for? 
we should be, as First 26 says, it's better that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the reversal. Lord, come. Lord, visit us. And as you pray in your home tonight or beside your bed and you cry to God to come and visit you personally and visit your nation and visit your family, I say to you, do not get up from that time of prayer and forget all about it. But you should be getting up from that time of prayer and watching. Lord, are you coming? Is the tide coming in again? As the fishermen would stand and watch the harbour. And watch for the tide coming till they would get their boats out to their nets. And they would get it when the tide came in. Believer, we need to be watching. We need to be watching for the Lord to come. And to visit us. And to come in mercy. And rescue us. And revive us. Let's keep near him in these days. Jeremiah said... It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Dear believer, he who died for our sins, he who pardoned our iniquity, he who gathers all the elect into the heavenly kingdom, he has not and he never will lose control of any situation on earth. But always is our Christ the head over all things for his church. Oh, what a Christ. What a saviour. That immutable love that surrounds us. As the old poet said, The stars, they shine upon the earth. The stars, they shine upon the sea. The stars were made by almighty God. The stars looked down on me. And should those stars shine a million years, a million years and a day, Christ and I will still dwell in love when all those stars are passed away. Dear believer, lift up your eyes unto the hills from whence cometh thine aid, because it's better that we all both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. May God write his word on every heart. Father, take your word, apply it by the Spirit. Let the blood of the Lamb prevail. Let all that's been of thee live on in every heart. And let all that's been of Tom Laverty, let it just go away for it's worthless. But Lord, come and revive us, come and rescue us. O return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. For we hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from our breast. And until that day, O God, when all the blood-bought church is gathered into its eternal rest through Jesus our Lord, until then, may grace, mercy, and peace from God and Holy Trinity Father, Son, and Spirit, rest, remain, and abide with each blood-bought believer tonight and forevermore. Amen.